welcome to SOAR. You're here with Dr. Stephanie Brown. Thank you so much for coming and joining. For those of you who may not know me, I am a life coach and a physician, and I am here to use my voice to help sisters overcome and rise. I get to do this by discussing relevant topics and struggles that we all encounter in our lives with a focus on how we can overcome them by transforming our limiting beliefs into living our best lives. So today's topic is one that's really interesting. Today's topic is my title does not equal my identity. Hmm. I think I can hear some folks out there ears perking up because this is real. Titles have power. The title of a manager versus an employee. The title of a wife versus a wifey. And we will get into more about the power of our titles later on as we talk to our special guests that we have coming up. My title is not equal to my identity. Now I know someone needs to hear this because titles have power. If you think about it, the title of mother versus the title of stepmother makes many people feel empowered in a different way. If you walk into a company for an interview, you feel differently if you're getting interviewed by the CEO or by the recruitment officer. And in relationships, there's a different vibe if your title is wife versus wifey or boo. Not to mention, if there's a particular title that you want that you don't have, whether it's professional like pastor or doctor, or whether it's a personal one, that can be really painful. And then there's the situation where you have worked hard to obtain a title, but you lose it. You get fired, or you lose your medical license, or you get divorced, or you lose the person that was the cause of you having that title. It can be soul crushing, and many feel like a ship without a rudder, aimlessly floating and being tossed by the waves. So we'll talk about how to find your bearing and your center again after the loss of a coveted title, or maybe even when you don't get a title that you always wanted. Just this week, one of my colleagues asked me if it makes me uncomfortable when people outside of work don't call me doctor. I said no. She said it made her uncomfortable when the receptionist at her doctor's office called her Mrs. Smith. She said Mrs. Smith, to her, was a person from her past a long time ago. And I thought about it. She's divorced and she became a doctor after her divorce. And in addition to that, her ex-husband has since passed away. So I can see where she's coming from. But I was wondering why her first name didn't seem appropriate or Ms. Smith didn't seem appropriate. What was it about being called doctor, even though she wasn't acting in a professional capacity, that made her feel whole or made her feel like her identity was being validated? So we've got a lot to unpack today. And we've got the perfect person who's gonna join us to help us unpack it and figure out how we maintain our identities and separate from our titles. We give our titles power. So the great thing about that is that we can choose how much power we want them to have. When we remember that we are complete and whole just as we are, with or without a title, we can decide how much power we want to give a title. If it is no longer serving us, we get to choose to give that title less power in our lives. I have a friend who never answers the question 
So what do you do? She answers instead with, I am purposed to bring happiness and joy into the world. And so instead of talking about her title, her job, what she does, she talks about her state of being. So as we get into this topic a little bit more, I just want to introduce the guest that we have this evening. Our guest this evening is going to be Lakita C. Bloxon. She earned her doctorate degree from the University of Pittsburgh, and she's now a founding faculty director at Agnes Scott College. Before pursuing her doctorate, Lakita worked for Taco Bell. She is an entrepreneur as well. She has a business called Business Renaissance Guru, uh, and it's an advising company. And as a business renaissance guru, her specialty is to encourage and guide organizations as they transform themselves strategically during periods of growth or turbulence. So we are so excited to have her on as a guest because she has many titles and she's also experienced some different things with her titles. So coming up next, we'll be hearing from Lakita Bloxon. So right now, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing our guest. Welcome, Lakita. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Wonderful. So as we you know, talk about this, this, this topic of my title is not in, equal to my identity, it reminds me that this discussion has many layers because honestly, our titles are a big part of our, our identity. We are aunts, we're professors, we're sorors, etc. And that does make up who we are. What I, what I think we are really trying to say, both of us in this discussion, is that it does not completely define us. You are still you without any other titles. So how do you describe yourself without using your titles? Well, I like to use adjectives. And some of the adjectives I use would be task-oriented or serious or funny or adventurous, inquisitive, sometimes mm. impatient, yeah. <laughs> resourceful, uh, and definitely a connector and a hugger. Definitely during this COVID-19 um, pandemic, my ability not to be able to hug friends and family and, and sorority yeah. sisters has been up for me. So I have to describe myself as, with adjectives um, as often as I do with titles or nouns and the like or labels. Yeah, I love that. And those adjectives really do fit who you are. And I love how you brought up the fact that it's been that the, some of your adjectives have been neglected due to COVID. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Some of the things that make us who we are haven't been nurtured. And so we have to kind of find other ways to nurture those aspects of who we are. As I, as I was saying when I introduced you, we have known each other since we were 12 years old. I won't say how many years that is. And <laughs> <laughs> ever since I've known you, you wanted to get a PhD and be a professor. And I watched all of the trials and the sacrifices you had to endure to reach your goal. How has wanting and then having a doctorate shaped your identity? Well, that's a really um, interesting and good question. And you're right. I've always wanted to be an educator of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to also be in business of some sort. Uh, ever since I was in junior, you know, middle school, and we met in middle school. and. I wanted to find a way at some point to figure out how I could combine the two. I would be honest to say that I wanted to be a professional, business professional, an accountant or a market research analyst. And that was one of my career aspirations leaving high school. See, I just learned something I, new about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've always known part of that. I mean, but yes, I've always wanted to be an educator of some sort because I love education. And my mother is a retired, um, early childhood educator. So mm -hmm. that comes and runs in the family. 
something, but I do remember one of my elementary school teachers warning me to a slight degree to say, well, you know, if you want to be a teacher, that's great, but the pay is not that high and mm. you have so much going for yourself. There's a lot of things you can do beyond just being a teacher. But I never let that necessarily go out the back of my mind. So it was great when I um, became um, a student at Florida A&M University as far as my undergraduate degree, because that's when I was able to see lots of role models in my business school professors because you know yeah. they all were African many of them were African American and I said I can see myself in their footsteps so there is a way I could combine both my interest in being an educator of some sort or being in the school environment I'll say it that way but also engage in my interest in terms of business accounting marketing entrepreneurship and all and finding some unique way of being able to pursue that so I got a lot of great advice during my undergraduate years and yes having that goal and that target as early on as it was like in high school and then going into college um, and then beyond earning the undergrad degree did help shape a little bit of my identity even though I didn't go for the doctorate right away as you know um, but I always had that target in front of me and saying that's what I want to accomplish and so to be able to come out of it in the end and pursue my degree at the University of Pittsburgh, my doctorate, and, and to be able to to earn it, that was a really big deal. Yeah. And I would admit, yes, it did shape my identity to a degree. It's like, wow, I do have this title in front of my name, and yes, I have PhD at the end of my name. But I remember also learning along the way during that molding and shaping process that a doctoral program provides is that if you're going to do this because you only want mm. someone to call you doctor yeah. or because you want the PhD at the end and not willing to make the sacrifices uh, or make the commitment to what the field and the profession requires, then it's not worth pursuing. Yeah. And I was willing to make the commitment. So, yes. But even at that point, you, you know, so I'll be the first one to tell you, if you might remember, because you were at my graduation. <laughs> and, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, like, during that, you know, that first couple of months, once I defended, it was great to have someone call me Dr. Blossom. Yeah. I heard you mentioned in your intro um, about, you know, your colleague who was offended when she was not referred to by her title mm-hmm. that she had earned rightfully. Um, and I have to admit, when I first earned my doctorate, I want everybody to call me by that title because it does make <laughs> a difference. Yeah. Um, but once that ebbed and flowed, and I said, oh, you know, once that has faded, you know, it's like, no, I'm still Lakita. One way or another, I'm still Lakita Blossom. I was Lakita Blossom before the PhD. I'm Lakita Blossom after this. Yeah. The PhD is a tool that it allows me to do a number of things that I couldn't do otherwise, but it does not define me. Wow. I, I love that um, and the honesty that you shared that you know and I remember that too you know when you first graduate and they put the all of the things on you and they call you doctor that that's a big moment a big achievement and um, rightfully so you're excited at that point so I know a few years ago uh, you went through a period of time where you were not working as a professor and as you shared this is something that you kind of always knew you wanted to be an educator how did that experience affect how you saw yourself? Oh, that's a good question. It, I will be the first to admit that I went through a slight grieving process. Mm. Um, so when I, when, when I was not granted tenure and promotion at, um, at the institution where I was affiliated at that point in time, it, it did sink in, strike a nerve. Mm-hmm. It made me think at first, it's like, well, wait a minute, I thought I was worthy of this 
this um, promotion. I thought I had earned the, you know, the accolades and the work that I had done and the, the great um, positive um, recognition that the university received on my behalf and all yeah. those different kinds of things. Um, allowed, I thought that would help or I thought that that should not have prevented me from being, having promotion and tenure granted upon me at that institution. So I did go through a grieving process. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, but I did also learn during that time frame that one, you know, this is not, you know, I can always find another opportunity somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that this may not be the best opportunity for me. Right. And I also have always been, even before I was with that particular university, I've always seen myself as an entrepreneur of ideas. Mm. And I choose to affiliate with particular organizations for a particular period of time so long as that relationship stays mutually beneficial. At any given point when it's no longer mutually beneficial, that's when it's, you know, whether it's because of something I discover or, or learn or something they discover or learn or we decide to mutually agree that it's not the best fit, then it's time for me to think about another opportunity I can pursue. But I will be the first to tell you that, yes, when I took a brief period of time to not um, operate as a professor or full-fledged as a professor, and I worked at for a nonprofit organization in the leadership capacity, that was a great opportunity to learn different skill sets that I otherwise would not have had a chance to, in, um, to develop in my professorial role. Absolutely. There's yes. always opportunities and um, and things that we might pursue as uh, hardships. So, Lakita, um, what you said was really powerful about, you know, when you lost your position as a professor, it kind of forced you to explore some different talents that you had. A lot of people right now are losing jobs or companies are going out of business or people are being redeployed. Even at my job, we have OBGYNs who are seeing male patients and they haven't seen men in 20 years. They may be trying to figure out how to deal with this. Do you have any advice for them and how you kind of got through that difficult time? I do. I definitely encourage, well, when I'm as a professor, when I'm working with students or clients, I always encourage individuals to conduct or complete a skill inventory. You know, Monster.com and Career Builder websites both have skills inventories or self-assessments that you can, so that you can get a sense of what your skills are, mm-hmm. what are your strengths and the like, and be able to use that to challenge new opportunities. And it also helps to be able to see how you can take the skills you have and apply them to in a new context and to be open-minded about that. So, yeah. you know, like you mentioned with the uh, OBGYNs who are now seeing male patients, you said, well, they don't know if you're you're treating adults, you know, you still, you don't lose that aspect of your your practice. But yeah. you know, you're able to still operate as a primary care physician or an internist in some capacity. You know better than I do. You're a physician, mm-hmm. but you know, there's some things you don't lose, and so you just have to now channel the knowledge you have into another direction. And those are things that you know we encourage anyone who's going through a transition with their job or in any role that they're playing to be able to find ways to take the skills and the knowledge that they have and to apply it in this new capacity. It may take some creativity to do it. Yeah. But there are ways you can go about it. And, and understanding what your skill sets are, if you have not taken a skills inventory or self-assessment in several years, um, this is a good time to be able to do that so you know where you are um, from a strength perspective and, and give you some ideas that you might not have thought about. I love that advice. I think that's great advice because a lot of times 
we think of our skills within a certain context, but they're transferable, which is which is awesome, which is great. And what opportunities do you feel like this situation forced you to create for yourself? You you talked about developing, figuring out what your skills were and seeing what your new talents were. So how did that translate into new opportunities for you? Well, first and foremost, I had to come to the realization and get over the notion that I thought I was a failure. Mm. And that was very tough for me. Again, again, you can go through the, the, the stages of grief when you're losing a job this is if you lose a loved one Mm -hmm. and um, that relationship you have with that loved one or the relationship you have with that employer or that opportunity or whatever that role that you play or the role that you would like to play that now won't become to fruition at all for whatever reason um to get over that you know i had to take a chance me take a moment to try to get over that notion of being a failure and that failure was a bad thing and i learned in the course being entrepreneur um and i teach entrepreneurship as well i had to start practicing what i teach Mm-hmm. And say, you know what? You know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to, and we encourage my students to fail fast. If you're going to fail, fail quickly. Get over it. Learn from it, and take the lessons from it, and then use that as new knowledge and wisdom to build yourself to go into the next direction or alternate direction. Um, just because you may not have done well in this position, or you may no longer hold the title or role that was ascribed to you, does not make you less of a person. Does not make you less of any. Um, I have an ability to be able to transfer those skills to some other way mm-hmm. or to develop a relationship with other people in a way that is affirming for you. Yeah, because you have to fail in order to succeed. You know, um, it takes multiple tries and multiple attempts before you actually become successful. So if you're not going to try because a failure, then you're probably not going to succeed. So that that is exactly. great advice. And, and, it, and it's true that human part of us has to grieve that thing that we thought was part of our identity that's that's no longer there, uh, which which leads into the next question, which is. I talked about losing a title and we've talked about losing a title, but I also talked about not obtaining a title that you desire. And, you know, sometimes there there are things that we want. We may want to be, you know, in a leadership position in our companies or we may want to be um, in a certain type of relationship or we may want to be um, a physician and we and we don't make it. Do you think the same advice applies or is there additional advice for somebody who is not able to obtain? a title that they would like yeah that's very interesting because the way um, we see it is that both can you know both can you know affect your identities you know but we have to keep in mind that our identities and how we see ourselves is based both on how we see ourselves personally and what we internalize for ourselves and we recognize that it is influenced by the context and those around us and those mm-hmm. people and institutions around us I mean, they're the ones that you mentioned earlier in your discussion, you know, place labels upon us, you know, in terms of, you know, you're someone's wife, someone's right. daughter, someone's mother, someone's employee, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, but you still don't want to lose yourself. And it's okay to have those titles and it's okay to see and allow for others to view you in a particular way, provided it's balanced. Yes. You know, so that you want to go out of one go to a point where you're only so looking at yourself so much and only yourself to the point the detriment of your relationship with others because you won't be able to survive that way 
And then not to the point where you are sacrificing how you view yourself and your identity and who you are as an individual and always allowing outsiders or outside influences to define you mm-hmm. for yourself. Because the question then becomes, what level of power and influence are you allowing to help define and provide your identity? And be very mindful of that. So I always tell individuals in their organizations, even when they're talking about organizational identity, you know, how do you see yourself versus how you, how others see you? And do they reconcile? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are they balanced? Yeah. So I encourage everyone to be able to try to find and strike that balance. And recognizing that, yes, labels, roles, and titles do carry power and influence. And when one loses something, a title that has power and influence, they have to figure out, okay, how relevant is that to you? And how can you adjust so that that relevance is not overshadowing other things? Yeah, that was great. That was some great wisdom that you just shared there. Just so, so many nuggets. You currently have a very exciting position, which seems so in line with who you are Tell us what you get to do in your new position. Well, I serve as the founding faculty director of the Social Innovation Master of Arts program at Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia. And yes, uh, it is a position that I've actually been wanting to do in some capacity my entire um, academic career. And it took a while to actually get to this point. Um, There are certain skills I'm able to employ in terms of my leadership skills and my administrative skills as well as my academic knowledge and um, business knowledge that I'm able to use. And then also, of course, in, in my skills in terms of being a professor and instructor and disseminator of knowledge in the classroom and within the community. So this is a great position that I hold that allows me to interface with many people and to do a number of different things. And to be honest, the whole leadership position I've been speaking for quite some time within the academic environment, um, that it is in line in terms of my values, in terms of my skill set, in yeah. terms of the knowledge that I bring to the table. And I, it took a long time to get here, but I believe the creator of all knew what he was doing <laughs> and, and bringing me through the steps that I had to go through in my career to get me to this point. Yes, yes. And, and isn't it interesting how much more you appreciate it when it comes in the timing and you see that um, this is where you're supposed to be at, at this particular time. And maybe, you know, two years ago or three years ago, you weren't ready for the role. And, and now I, you are. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And one takeaway I, from this experience so far also is that it is really key. And I've known this and you've known this for some time. But it's really great and key to cultivate relationships with others mm. and to be able to plant seeds along the way. Had I had not had people not know what kind of work I have done and can do and the kind of the scholarship that I conduct in terms of the research I conduct or the kind of work that I've done in different capacities in the community and on campuses. Had someone not known that about me already, they would not have been able to seek me out or recommend me for such an opportunity as I have right now. Um, now it took me a while for me to cultivate that, that opportunity. It didn't come overnight. Yeah. Um, it was the seeds were planted years ago in the minds of different people along the way mm. who I would not have thought would have brought this opportunity to me but they were able to you know refer me to individuals to say well they're looking for someone like me they knew me or they knew someone like me and said well let me refer you to or let me recommend Makita to you she could do the work that you're looking for 
and had that person not known what I do and I wasn't ashamed to be able to share with others what I do and the like, then I would not most likely be in this position that I have right now or wouldn't be able to cultivate that relationship I have with Adversat College at this point. So I'm all about planting seeds. They may not come grow and bring forth fruit right away, but um, in due time, they do. Yes, keep planting. So um, I wanted to wrap up our interview with this question. What concrete tips would you like to share about how to affirm one's personal worth and to rebound after a career setback. Wonderful, yes, I do have a recommendation. So I wanna recommend a book that one of my colleagues, Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts at the University of Virginia has written. She does work um, with identity and particularly individual and organizational identity. So she has a tool called the Alignment Quest Toolkit for Activating Your Best Selves. And you can find it on Amazon. So, uh, yeah, I'm plugging the book in a way. But I wanted to let people know that there are tools. And I know, Dr. Brown, you have various tools you have that you use with your mm-hmm. clients as well. In terms of how you're able to um, go through a process of bringing coherence and purpose and joy to your life by learning how to create the most value in your daily living and your daily working. And so that's some of the work that I know you do in your coaching and that Dr. Morgan Roberts does in her work with individuals and organizations. But also, if you don't want to buy the book, what I would suggest is to take a self-inventory and do an exercise quickly. And it may take a little while, but get your journal out and think about 25 adjectives to describe yourself. Did you write down 25 Mm. adjectives? It may take you a while to think about, oh my gosh, you might be able to write down five right away, but it's going to take you a moment to really reflect upon what are other words that you would use to describe yourself. Ideally, how you describe yourself versus how others describe you or label you. And through there, you might find some power within those adjectives and say, okay, if I see myself in this role or I see myself as this kind of person. It should not matter what type of role or title or organization I work for or position I hold. I will still be this person. Those are the 25 descriptors I gave myself. Love that. I am going to try that and I may even use it with some of my clients. So if people want to reach out to you, if they have questions, where can they reach you? The best way you can reach me is via my website at www dot business renaissance guru dot com or you can do a google search lakita blocks and then the website will pull up but yes you can reach me directly at www.businessrenaissanceguru.com thank you so much for joining us So some of you may be listening to SOAR for the first time. So I just want to take a minute to talk about what SOAR is all about. SOAR, which stands for Sisters Overcoming and Rising, is here to provide a platform for women to give and receive. Because that's what sisterhood is really about. It's a relationship that goes both ways. One week you may be a guest on here sharing your talent and your expertise and helping another woman get through a situation you've already been through. And the next week, you may be the one receiving a word of advice that helps you and gives you an aha moment. The content is not just for women. We welcome all and we will definitely have some men on the show as guests as well. But how many platforms actually elevate black women and look to them as the experts? We really do have everything that we need within our community 
to be prosperous, to be well, and to be wise. And the whole point of this platform is to demonstrate that. And it starts with shifting our thinking. As a man or woman thinketh, so is he or so is she. So my goal as a life coach and as a radio show host is to help all of us think the thoughts that manifest the most joy, peace, and power in our lives so that we can soar higher. So this show is one aspect of the SOAR brand. Stay tuned for other aspects. There may be brunches, there may be retreats, anything that allows women to come together and uplift one another and empower one another. That's what SOAR is about, empowering women and loving on one another. And if you want to check out my coaching business, you can go to my website, which is www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. Whenever I end my shows, I always want to leave you with some parting motivation. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So remember, the change happens in your mind first before it manifests in your life. To overcome your circumstances, think the thoughts you would think if you were already where you want to be, and you will be there before you know it. Thanks for soaring with me.